Hello and welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're at home, on your way to work, or at the gym, we hope you enjoy this episode. And a special welcome to our Crux Club Early Access members. You can learn more about that at crux-club.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to Crux Investor. We are talking today to Justin Hume, the Uranium Insider. How are you doing, Justin? Doing great. How about yourself? Yes, it felt like a long week, I have to admit. It's been a, a long, tough week. But I'm not complaining. I'm not on the front line. I'm not one of these selfless medics um, giving up giving up their time and you know endangering themselves stuff time. So um, I, I got I to go, I'm good. I'm good. What have you done this week? Oh, what have I done? Uh, well, we put out a... We put out a, a, a special guest analysis on the newsletter for one of our top picks, which was nice. I um, saw. Was very, very pleased to be working with uh, the gentleman who put it out there. Uh, and yeah, a lot, a lot of action in the uranium market. So it's been a busy week for me. It has been a busy month for you. Busy two a busy months month. for you, right? But so what was the, what's the big yeah. news of this week? Tell me. Well, there's a couple of pieces. Um, I think the obviously the big biggest news. Um, I don't know if you call it news necessarily, but in more like an event was the the conference call from Cameco this morning. Um, that I think was uh, pretty pretty darn positive. I don't think we really could have asked for much more um, on a on a uranium news front from from that call. Uh, Why do you say we that? had? Some... What what did they talk about? <clears throat> Well, they talked. They talked about uh, the Scar Lake closure mm -hmm. um, and the Port Hope closure. Um, they talked about the market in general, uh, more specifically the spot market and what's going on there. Um, they didn't really give any specific numbers as far as how much they have been acquiring. Um, they didn't talk about any uh, term contracting that has or hasn't happened this year. They didn't even hint at that, actually. Um, but I think that the, the overall vibe was just very positive. And, and it really left me with a sense of um, these guys are exactly in the position they want to be in right now. That was the sense I was left with. And it, it really gave me a positive, uh, a positive feeling for not only their positioning, but the overall market and the way that it's fundamentally shifting right now. So, that was my sense. Right. So that, that does sound positive. So maybe we should break that down and so talk about some of the things. So what was their view of the U.S. Um, Department of Energy's announcement last week, the Nuclear Fuel Working Group? Um, they thought it was good. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't speak too much on that, um, but they did generally say that they, that they felt it was positive. They had been involved in the dealings with, with the working group from kind of from the beginning having pretty substantial U.S. assets that they don't really speak about that much because they're kind of back burner compared to their tier one stuff in, uh, in Canada. But, um, you know, they basically said, you know, they, they could get those into production if the prices get up to a certain point and if they get the support from the working group or from the federal government. But um, overall positive just to see um, attention being paid to domestic supply chains and Obviously, can them not not only having U.S. assets, but being uh, primarily located just uh, just to the north of the border. That it's it's a good thing for them, right? But um, but they've got a they've got like a billion bucks worth of U.S. assets. So it's not, it's not insignificant. So they do care 
what the nuclear fuel working group said, but did they give clues as mm-hmm. to, you know, what they thought around timing, around, no. you know, any kind of insight into what, what, what it could mean? Not if they did, I missed it, but I, I don't think that they really read too much into it. I think honestly, that's sort of a, as big of news as that has been um, and was recently, I think it's still kind of a backstory for them compared to what's going on with their mine closures and the spot market and, and their tier one assets. But I think that that's a, it's a positive foundation kind of as a backdrop for the big neighbor to the South and, and their assets in the U S and you're right. He did mention that they've got a billion dollars invested into their U S assets. So uh, clearly the, the, it's important to them. And I think that they, are highly likely to to produce from them in this cycle, right? You you said something a second ago. You said they're right where they want to be. Now, there's no way they could have known COVID nineteen was coming along, right? They, they, this scenario is coming along. So, why do you say they are where they want to be? Is this is this in relation to the closure at Cigar Lake? Do you think that was you indicating that it's a kind of strategic closure in, in that way, aren't you? Or what are you trying to say? No, I don't think that the the closure was was strategic. Um, obviously, there's no way they could have seen it, and and clearly they they closed it for for health and safety concerns of their employees. Um, and they did mention that there's been kind of a unfortunately kind of a, a breakout in cases in northern Saskatchewan of COVID, and so they're watching that really closely. And and they didn't specifically say um, what that would that would mean for them, but I think very obviously there that cigar is not coming back online anytime soon due to the increase in cases that are happening um in that area so um no but it's so the closure was not strategic but i think in order for them to take cigar offline voluntarily there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of players involved it's not a simple simple matter like oh the prices are low therefore let's cut some more mine production they've got jvs involved they've got orono involved They've got uh, they've got Denison involved at the mill, and they have um, unions involved at both the mine and the mill, and so it's a very difficult thing, especially with Orono in the position they're in. They they need that production um, much more than Cameco does. Cameco is in a great cash position and can fulfill their contracting obligation through purchasing, which is exactly what they're doing. But COVID comes along, and all of a sudden they have to close down the mine. And but now they're in this position where they don't have to bring it back. Um, I, th- they hold an incredible piece of leverage here, and I think that they're going to utilize it, and that they have been utilizing it. Um, so I, I think that they are, are precisely where they want to be. That you know, COVID's going to come and go, and there will be a time in the near future where they'll be able to bring it back online. But why would they if they can't if they don't have the prices that support it now that it's down? Okay, so they took it down, yeah. force majeure, it's closed down. They've got a partner yeah. who needs it back up, but they're going to they're gonna play the game. Well, actually, let's just hold on a minute here. We'll carry on buying in the market or using a bit of our whatever inventory they have to fulfill their contracts, and mm-hmm. we'll switch this thing. We'll, I guess, in a way, we'll sweep up the market for, of all the kind of the loose change, as it were, and when the decks are cleared, we'll start talking about getting back into production, but at a price which works for us, because there's there's no kind of spare inventory around. Is is that what is that what they're trying to do, or, or is this a bit more to it than that? 
Yeah, they actually said um, kind of in, in some in some further commentary discussing what's going on with the spot market and the situation with carry trade um, and long term contracting is um, and they kind of just snuck it in there where they said, yeah, well, this situation is setting up nicely to encourage utilities to come back to the table for long term contracting so that we can restart MacArthur River and Cigar Lake. So they just oh, kind of wow. snuck the Cigar Lake into that statement. Oh. Um, so, you know, they're under no obligation to bring that back online just because just because they can at this point now. it's It's got to make financial sense for them. So, um, yeah, they're going to get what they can from the spot market. So far, the spot market has been very thin, but they've been able to buy what they've needed. That's what that's my inference. Um, again, they, they don't use very specific language, language or numbers when they talk about this stuff. But uh, judging from the spot market action and knowing that they've been in there, uh, it, the, the plan is essentially working out to be able to accumulate some spot market pounds. Right. I guess it's kind of a very interesting time for traders here because if you've got someone like Cameco coming and sweeping up the, the lease inventory, that doesn't leave much for them to play with, does it? Uh, no, certainly not. Um, and that's that's exactly what I think we're looking at, a very thin spot market. Um, they did make some pretty specific commentary regarding traders and carry traders um, and how how the carry trade has really inhibited the term contracting market over the past few years, uh, especially with U.S. utilities who are increasingly uncovered but have been able to put off coming to the table for term contracting via these shorter term carry trades, getting, you know, one year, two year, three years out into the future, smaller quantity of pounds, something that a carry trader would be willing to, uh, to contract and promise for delivery without actually even acquiring those pounds. We know some of those guys have gotten caught short. There's been mm -hmm. some covering, but there's also just uh, non carry traders who are in the spot market currently who are buying who are selling they're playing with this volatility that will probably continue but the utilities are kind of left with this really interesting situation right now where they've got still a few options you know it's not necessarily dire yet but what we're seeing is an increasing uh, amount of u.s utilities uncover increasing percentage as we go along we're looking out two years because of the two-year fuel cycle essentially and they have, with this carry trade option, essentially going away right now. I mean, I don't even know if they have that that optionality at this point. Uh, and he also mentioned, um, Grant mentioned, that uh, the carry trade is having trouble with financing as well. So not only are these pounds potentially not available and the volatility spreads just so great for something like a carry trade, that that option is really disappearing for the utilities. So we have... A few options now. They can continue to draw down inventory, which uh, we're expecting to see any day now, and it's assumed that we're at you know below two years of inventory. Can they keep drawing it down? Some of them can, I'm sure. Maybe they will. They can potentially go into the market for UF6 or EUP further into the into the fuel cycle, um, which they have been doing over the past year. Uh, they can buy in the spot market and get what they can. Which is which looks to me to be pretty thin uh, and having kind of great competition with producers, or they can step up to the table and sign some term contracting. So removing that carry trade option, uh, removing that middleman, I think is really putting utilities in a position of you know shit or get off the pot basically.
Interesting. So there's Pardon the French. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, because it, you know it, it, the, the the phrase which has been used in the past is is not necessarily about the size of the inventory, it's about the mobility of the inventory. I.e., mm-hmm. you know, can you get it to where it needs to be, or can you construct deals where you can borrow inventory? I.e., you you can pay to dive into someone else's inventory load on the basis that you promise to return it with some kind of, you're going to pay some sort of premium for it, obviously. It's just going to keep keep things going, but it's going to be lower than perhaps where you may, might have to pay in two years' time, maybe, mm. right? So th- right. Th- there's, there's, lots of, th- there's lots of ways that you can kind of construct deals with utilities on off-market trades, right? Sure. Have you heard, because this is Twitter is talking about this one, we've got a lot, of, we've got a... I got some coming on next week, and um, they they have talked in the past about Japanese uh, utilities selling into the market. Are you aware of Japanese utilities selling into the market? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think I think that it does happen a little bit. I know that uh, Sashim Cove, for example, in their modeling, they they account for or allow for 5 million pounds coming from Japan into the market every year. And that's being extremely generous. Mm. So, um, so yes, I believe that historically there has been some selling. Um, but you know, the, the general understanding is that it's just not a lot of mobile inventory there. That a lot of their inventory is in fabricated fuel or, or EUP that's already been, uh, enriched to a certain percentage that has limited, uh, limited usability amongst uh, reactors that have a specific enrichment requirement. So do they have some UF6 or some U308 that they're selling into the market? Probably, but um, I don't believe it's of, of great volume, at least of significance. Right. Not, not, not going to change yeah. anything. Okay. Um, you mentioned Cigar Lake there a second ago and the fact that Cameco will come back when they feel it's right to. They're not too concerned about their 2020 uh, term contracts that they, they feel they've got that covered. What about Port Hope? That was an announcement, I don't know, what, three, four weeks ago now, I guess. Mm. We talked about the impact of that. Was that mentioned on the call? They did mention that. Um, it seems to me that they believe that that will come back online sooner rather than later. Um, I know that their, uh, their conversion uh, aspect is of, of what they do is is a big part of their um, their their profit margins and their their revenues. So, I think that um, I think that that will be on sooner rather than later. There's also just a huge bottleneck in conversion in general. Um, so that's that's not really that good for the industry to have that down for too long. Um, so it, the 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 language that they use for Port Hope uh, led me to believe that that'll be on sooner rather than later. But they didn't give a specific date. I think it's as soon as it's safe, I would say, is probably when that's going to be back online. Yeah, I think, well, I think, I think you could yeah. cover everything off with that statement. Uh, they seem quite mm. responsible. Um, you know, they, they went early with the with the closures. Um, I know they're big, in the, big into the community. They employ a lot of the local community too. So mm-hmm. you'd, you'd expect that. Um, and, what, and what about, I mean, again, more Twitter. Twitter talk. We love Twitter talk. Oh, yeah. I'm sounding like one of these sort of crazed American jockeys, uh, radio jockeys. 
got rumors. I got rumors. Um, <laughs> the people people have been talking about the way that potentially Cameco and Kazat and Prom are using this as an opportunity to control price in the market and therefore make it harder for some companies who are not sitting on a lot of cash and maybe look to take them out as some kind of you know acquisition target m a activity generally was that again was that um discussed at all yeah they actually that was uh, there was a question in the q a at the end where they were directly asked about if they're looking to make any sort of acquisitions and they just basically said no it was a really straight and quick answer um That's a i think note. that they've got I've yeah, been, yeah. I was hoping it'd be a different answer because at least another <laughs> half, half an hour in it. But no, no. Okay, no. Right. Yeah, it was pretty. It was That's pretty clear in the way they answered. Quite frankly, yeah. well, they they have you know they've got like essentially all of their production is just sitting right now offline or in care and maintenance, and so they they still have you know a few hundred million pounds between Inkai and MacArthur River that have, that are not tied up in contracts to come back online. So I honestly, my, my takeaway from that answer was like just showing us how early we still really are. We're still really early in this thing. Um, and it doesn't seem like it because many of us have been following the sector for so long and because we're actually up, you know, five or six weeks out of the past two months, Mm. which is, (laughs) which is a, a welcome change, but it's still, the market is shifting under our feet right now. It's, it's, it's profoundly changing. And it's almost imperceptible um, to anyone who, who doesn't keenly recognize what's happening. But it's it's turning into a seller's market. And because Adam Prom and Cameco are holding all the cards right now, they're going to get what they want. What do they want? We'll find out. But they're going to get it. Yeah, <laughs> they, no, they, I, I think that's yeah. right. I, I think we I think we touched yeah. on it last week. We, the, the, yeah. This segueing from you know a, a buyer's market to a seller's market, and it, it, we're sort of in that twilight zone at the moment. But it's it's coming and it's coming fast. And I, I'm just trying to help people coming in new to the uranium space. You know, so generous investors, gold investors, people who've you know not really looked at uranium and, and quite rightly for the last four years. Now looking around at some of the you know, some of the macro stories which are being told. Um, it's a very interesting um, story. But there's also some, there's still some some deals to be um, had, deals to be done. Um, we spoke last week with Dustin Garrow. Was it Dustin Garrow's of, you know, mm-hmm. he's he was there with, you know, Paladin and he's, you know, um, worked in Namibia with 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 the Chinese and so forth. You know, he, he's, he's been around the block, let me put it like that. And he's, and he's a pretty sharp guy. And I thought something he said that I want to talk to you about, um, which was quite interesting, was uh, when it comes to sort of junior miners, was he felt that companies or CEOs who did not understand the 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 term contract uh, market would struggle because there's a way that those deals are put together, those contracts are written. Um, it takes time to put together and there's trust to be earned and there's information to be digested and diligence to be done. It's a long process and it's not a one hour meeting, you know, in, a, in an office somewhere. So what was, what, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that or what, or what your take is. For I did. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. where, what was your take on what he had to say there? Are you a buyer? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think he makes a good point uh, regarding term contracting and, 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 and juniors needing to, to be uh, on top of that market and understanding it. But I also think that it really depends on the junior. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with individual projects and the CapEx required, to be honest. You have some juniors that have projects that can come online with a much smaller CapEx and with a production of maybe less than a few million pounds a year, that can easily be sold into the spot market at, at, at least for them to uh, to fund their projects if they can get online with uh, with minimal dilution or maybe a little bit of debt financing. Mm-hmm. But um, projects that need you know north of fifty million dollars, let's say U.S. to get going, um, they're they're definitely going to need to at least partially hedge that capex with some some type of forward contracting and and my understanding is that utilities uh to some extent are willing to to contract with juniors with greenfield projects in small quantities so they'll make a really small contract that's for delivery not too far out into the future a smaller amount of pounds and then if that junior can actually get into production and provide what they've committed to then they'll kind of re-up and maybe make a bigger deal with them. So it makes sense. You know, one one example would be Vimy Resources out of Australia. I know they've got a, a pretty active fuel buyer who's uh, – not fuel buyer, excuse me, um, uh, uh, contract uh, negotiation guy that's talking with fuel buyers. Is Scott? Uh, yes, I believe so. Um, who's already kind of made a lot of contacts with, with utilities and with the fuel buyers um, just to kind of put it out there. They've got a project that they can get online relatively easily an open pit project with Mulga rock. And, um, and, and so they're already kind of ahead of the curve in that way. And they could be in a good position because of that, because of understanding that market, because of getting to the table sooner rather than later uh, to make those kind of deals. So, to, yes, I agree with what he said, but at the same time, there are some lower capex projects. You know, something like Laramide's project, they can get into production with twenty or thirty million US um, with an ISR project and produce one to two million pounds. And you know, it's pretty easy to sell that amount of pounds in a bull market. Yeah, the Laram- yeah, we spoke with Laramide with um, Mark Henderson a few weeks ago. You know, bright guy, mm-hmm. um, very articulate. Yeah. Um, they've got a couple of options as to how they go about it, but it, it seems sense that they they went with their smaller ISR project just to get the cash going, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so 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 I think that's I think that's definitely that's definitely one um, to look at. Now, why don't we talk about your report this week? So you you've you've had some analysis done on Global Atomic. I think we talked about it last week. I think it's had a Mm-hmm. Stupendous week. They're up around. I don't know where they finished. Up around seventy cents from sort of, you know, a month ago, three weeks ago, having been sort of in the forties and I think in the twenties a month before that. So they've been. They've seen a kind of resurgence off the back of their PEA. But what else did you learn after doing this analysis? Um, I think that he, uh, uh, that that Miko, the gentleman that did the did the analysis, did a really thorough job of explaining the mining plan that's proposed in the PEA. Um, my understanding is that they've they've really taken an, an intelligent route at their mining plan, which is to uh, to forego the previous plan of going open pit, which would have been a slightly lower capex to get going, but they would have dealt with lower grades, and with lower grades, they need a uh, 
a, a higher capacity mill to be able to put out enough pounds to kind of justify the mine. So in order to, to, to get to that high grade, they'll be going underground, which is a little bit higher of a capex, but they can, they can keep the mill at a smaller size. I think the mill capex alone was about 60 something million, I believe, to build the mill. Um, it sounds like the option of uh, toll milling uh, with Orono is kind of still in, on the table, but they're leaning against it or leaning away from it due to that mill sort of not being in the greatest shape as far as recovery rates and obviously having to toll mill and not get as much uh, in the market for what they're mining. Mm. So it sounds to me like they've they've got a pretty dialed in mining plan from what I can tell and from what his analysis, you know, that was my takeaway. Well, it seems to be the market's takeaway as well, if, if the share price is anything to go by this week. Is there, Yeah, I mean, obviously what happens, people kind of forget very quickly and share price falls away uh, on, on occasion. So, you know, what's what's the sort of next momentous moment? What do they call it? Catalyst. What's the next catalyst for this company? Um, I think getting their permits, uh, which they're they're expecting at some point this year, um, so we should see that happen, assuming that it goes well, which I think it is. I think Niger is pretty favorable for this sort of project. Um, they'll likely do a raise of some kind, uh, which will likely happen after they get their permits. And then they'll be on, you know, the PEA is almost like a PFS. It's, it's really, uh, pretty, pretty elaborate. And then next year we'll be doing their, their DFS and, um, and moving towards, uh, working towards production. Um, or at least mine building, wow. which, uh, yeah. which, you know, Miko's analysis is kind of a little bit more skeptical on the timing of that. Mm. You know, they're, they're saying that they can get into production by sometime in 2022. And he's like, yeah, I think late 2023, early 2024 is more realistic, which, you know, these things almost always cost more and take longer than expected. So that could be, that could be an accurate take on it. Well, you're in the building game. You'd know, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the classic. That's the classic with construction. Over budget. Yeah. 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 Over promise. Over budget. It takes longer. Yep. Awesome. But not your company. <laughs> not your company. No, no. No, no, definitely not. No. That's why you do well. That's why you do well. Um, yes, sir. Right. So, and, and what, are, what are the companies you're looking at this week? Who's your highlight of the week? Mm, highlight of the week. Um, well, I don't want to mention names, but we've been looking also at the natural gas space. Go on. Um, there's a really interesting, interesting thesis playing out there. Just Tell me, because the, that, that space looks like it's been hammered. So give me the oh, thesis at least. It's been absolutely hammered. Yeah. So we, we did put out a name three weeks ago and it's up about 130 <laughs> percent right now from that from our entry point. Um, but still, the story is really, really early. Um, the thesis is basically that much of the um, a, a good chunk of the natural gas production in the States has been associated production from from oil from shale oil specifically. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, and the shale oil story is uh, in very quick decline. It was already in trouble before the oil war started. And so we're, we're seeing just a massive decline in, in rig count and we're seeing wells being capped. And so the associated gas coming from the shale oil is is set to decline and potentially much, much faster than we were expecting even a few months ago. 
so the thesis is that natural gas has been in the toilet for years and it's just been falling and falling and falling and falling. And now we're seeing the futures. We've got January futures up over $3. Um, we've seen the, the natural gas price start to rise off the bottom. And so the thesis is there's a few companies that are natural gas producers that are uh, based in a different region. They're based primarily in Appalachia. Um, uh, so they're not associated with the <laughs> with the associated gas production from shale. Right. Um, so so they should be able to continue to produce and benefit from the rising natural gas price. So the companies that are more leveraged to natural gas and less to oil are the ones that we're looking at. And there's a few good ones, a few good ones, and it's definitely worth looking at. I think it's a potentially a multi-gear uh, bull market for natural gas. It's still early, but uh, we're positioned and looking at that as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I guess people can find out more by going to uraniuminsider.com and signing up for your newsletter. Indeed, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. If I could leave you one, with one last thought, um, I just wanted to mention the uh, the the note that was sort of leaked from UXC's weekly report from mm -hmm. an interview with Kazadamprom CEO, Mr. Primatov. Mr. Permatov, mm -hmm. yes, uh, seems like a pretty sharp dude. Yep. Um, so basically, UXC asked him, um, "What's Kazadamprom's relationship with traders has certainly evolved over the years. How does Kazadamprom view the role of traders in the nuclear fuel market? And could you please describe the company's current relationship with traders?" And he he answers. Traders will need to reinvent themselves if they are going to remain relevant. They played a vital role, bridging the gap between an oversupplied spot market, we were just talking about that, and the rolling near to, near to midterm procurement needs of utilities in the one to year time, one to three year time frame. What they don't currently offer is security of supply in the market, given their limited ability to carry uncommitted inventory. And it's difficult to see the value they currently bring beyond the carry trade. But the market has changed, and the carry trade itself is looking increasingly obsolete. It's basically saying these guys need to basically survive to these new conditions or just face irrelevancy. And because uh, Adam Prom is, uh, let's just say they're on board with what's going on right now. They're not fighting this trend, and uh, they and Cameco both, I think, they know what's going on, and and they're they're in the driver's seat. Well, I, think I think the opportunity right now is just huge. <laughs> I, I think it the really opportunity is. Is, is, is huge, but you need to remember what traders are. You know, same in the oil, oil and gas business. They're not producers. They sit in the middle and they do an arbitrage and they, 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 they pick percentage points, bips off of um, the, these trades. So they're, they're sort of structuring deals without necessarily ever taking delivery. These are all paper trades. Right. Um, so yeah, in, when times are lean, they find it very hard to exist. Of course, there's there's less going on. When it, when times are busy again, when when it gets busy, they'll be back, and there's there's more of them. It's it's you know basic basic um, economics there. Uh, but mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to sort of see you know um, who survives and, and 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 who doesn't. You know, we spoke, we've spoken to quite a few, and I think they're feeling very very nervous. But Justin. It's that time. You've got to go and do some work, and I've got to go and drink some wine. 
<laughs> it seems a fair split of the workload, Justin. It seems a fair split of the workload. Have you got Agreed. a lot on for, uh, I know Sunday's writing day. Have you got a lot on? You got a lot to talk about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on right now in the market. So we'll, we'll be busy on Sunday for sure. Good. Well, I look forward to it. I do enjoy your stuff. So uh, keep it coming. Thanks so much. And uh, we wish you well. Have a lovely weekend. Will do. You, you too, Matt. Thanks so much. Cheers, buddy. Bye.